no one is, 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 is more locked in. From Thursday to Monday, no one is more locked into the NFL than First and Pod. Hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filipponi. Oh, buddy, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, do we have a show for you today, tonight, whenever you're listening to First and Pod. Danny Parkins, Andrew Filipponi, every game, every team, every week. Subscribe, rate, review, five-star review. Tell a friend if you're listening on a radio station right now. We appreciate it. We're a podcast. We are coming to you after Ponies Steelers lose to the two-win at the time New England Patriots. They are the first ever team that was over 500 to lose consecutive games to teams that were at least eight games under 500. They lost to the 2-10 and 10 Cardinals last week. I think I know where you're going, Pony, but the floor is yours. Yeah, are people going to start to pay attention to this podcast and the things that come out of my mouth and my social media platforms about the Steelers head coach? And are some of the things that have been said about the coach who won the game Thursday night going to start to be said about this guy? Because they should. Um, I know what the Steelers' record is. It's still 7-6. and six, But as you just said, Something happened tonight that hasn't happened in the 100-plus year history of the NFL. And it's going to now be, barring a miracle, seven years, consecutive years for Mike Tomlin without a playoff victory. That is the longest drought since Chuck Knoll took over in Steelers history. And for a coach in one place to go seven years without a playoff win, in the last 40 years, only Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati in Jim Mora in New Orleans, suffered longer droughts without a playoff victory. The offense stinks. It doesn't matter who's coordinating it. It's poorly managed and run. They waste timeouts. They get illegal formation penalties. Third and two and fourth and two at the end of the game are egregiously bad play calls. And then I got to hear Tomlin say, we want to be aggressive. We play to win. Uh, that doesn't check out, buddy. Uh, play to win, that's... That doesn't excuse just being reckless and stupid. And that's what those plays were at the end of the game. Uh, You let Mitch Trubisky uh, play fast and loose tonight and his rolling the dice ways and inability to make the right play in large part cost you the game. And oh, by the way, your defense, your defensive coach, $120 million defense, you let New England come out and shove it up your rear end, opening drive touchdown, they had 21 points before you could blink in this game. So does that sum it up properly, Danny? Am I going too far with this? Is it no. being emotional? No, I don't. Listen, I don't think so. I watched way more of that game than I wanted to. Uh, calling a timeout to quarterback sneak in 2023 is as bad as it gets. Like the whole league has figured out the tush push, at least the attempt of it. Like So if you're QB sneaking... Uh, you can't be burning second half timeouts to do it. Like that, that is at this point in what we know about game theory and game management, that is remedial 101 stuff. So that's really bad. I do think that you guys got screwed on the call on the long snapper. I don't think that that head movement was egregious. So I, I yeah, do they think got that- screwed. You're right. They did, but I don't think that. Listen, I don't yeah. think we should be talking about one bad call, and it right. should not have been that close for it. I think that was the-, the only penalty called against the Steelers in the entire game. So it's hard for me to bitch about officiating when they went the first 57 minutes of the game without one called on them. 
Absolutely. I'm just saying it was late enough in the game that right. it was a tough one to overcome. I do think it's a storyline from the game, but not uh, – I'm just I'm trying to go through things that, that you didn't mention. Pickens having five catches for only 19 yards and not being targeted down the field, I guess firing Matt Canada did not solve the problem. And his body language was terrible, but we've talked about it. When the receiver is much better at his job than the quarterbacks are at theirs, and you're not even being targeted, it's not like he's being overthrown on deep routes. It's like behind the line of scrimmage check down stuff. And so he's being underused and underutilized. There's still a huge offensive problem there. Obviously, Trubisky was terrible, but that's an awful loss. There's no two ways to slice it. I would think, though, that you'd be able to find a team to give you a first-round pick for Mike Tomlin in a trade. Okay. I'm just saying. Would your team do that? No. I don't think so because their first-round picks are so high. I don't think you're going to get a top-five pick. And by the way, on behalf of all Bears fans, thank you to the Steelers for all but locking up the number one overall pick allowing Arizona and New England uh, to get their third wins. That is tremendously Yeah, helpful. you owe me a fruit basket or something, buddy. Yeah, that is you, tremendous. You owe me an NFL arrangement for that. <laughs> tremendous help uh, to the Bears via the Panthers' number one pick. Um, I don't think a team with a top five pick would do it, but a team with the 12th or 15th or 19th pick in the draft for a guy who's never had a losing record and exudes – charisma and leadership I think it's what every owner in the NFL for the most part would love to hire so and he's got rings on his fingers yeah except he can't develop a quarterback he never had to he walked into Roethlisberger uh their offensive situation right now even post Canada makes no sense they have an offensive coordinator who doesn't call the plays and the quarterbacks coach calls the plays so even that is done improperly yeah, Danny, they're just I'm I'm ready for a fresh start. I think some of America is seeing that now. You think Pittsburgh is ready for a fresh start? The, the organization or the fans? The fans. Yes. I don't think the organization is obviously they move at a glacial pace. No, I understand, but I'm saying if you if you if you pulled yes, your audience. Yes. Is it 6 out of 10, 8 out of 10? I think it's closer to 8 out of 10 than it is 6. It's probably 75%. I'll close on this. Even Hall of Fame coaches run out of steam. At this point in his career, 17 years, since the merger, there's only four coaches who lasted in one place longer than Tomlin. Don Shula in Miami, Tom Landry in Dallas, Bill Belichick with the Patriots, Chuck Knoll with the Steelers. That's it. Those are the only four guys. And say what you will about Tomlin, but he's not cut from that cloth, first of all. And... At least three out of those four guys, Belichick included, uh, the last five or six years, it was not pretty. There was not a lot of winning that was done. And that's pretty much what's happening here, Danny, too. Uh, One more thing. I don't know if you've ever cited this, but Theo Epstein used to talk about it all the time. And I don't remember. I think he maybe was quoting Bill Walsh. You'd have to double check me. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah, that is Bill Walsh. Yeah. So, yeah, Bill Walsh and Theo Epstein of like – you. Eventually, the message, no matter how good you are as a leader and a communicator, eventually it starts to fall on deaf ears and you lack new moves that you can do and it's time to move on. So you have a 10-year thing. I'll ask Uh, you the first question. Uh, The Sunday night game, it is the NFC East rematch. 
the Eagles and Cowboys. The Eagles won the first game. Since then, though, uh, I would say most football observers think they've gone in opposite directions and Dallas is primed to let everybody know that they are for real and they are going to settle the score here. Do you agree with that, that the Cowboys are going into this game as the better team? No, I don't. That surprises me. I thought for sure I was going to have to give you an Eagles rebuttal. So now I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this. Okay, listen, because I have been saying for a while that the Eagles are not as good as they were last year, and they've been getting by these games by the skin of their teeth, and I picked the Niners to crush the Eagles. But I think the Niners are the only great team in the NFL and certainly the only great team in the NFC. And Dallas, they do have extra time because they played Seattle on Thursday. So they have the mini buy coming into this game and they're at home. And technically just because of where they are in the standings, they need it more. So there are a lot of soft factors, home field rest and placement in the standings of why this is a bigger game for Dallas. These are the Cowboys wins. Giants, Jets, Patriots, Chargers, Rams, Giants, Panthers, Commanders, Seahawks. They don't have a good win. They have incredibly special players who are producing at a very high level individually. And they have beaten bad teams and have only one bad loss, which was obviously the Cardinals game. But I don't think that they are better 1-53 through than Philadelphia. And Philly coming off that loss, if they win this game, it basically locks up the division. I think Philly goes to Dallas and wins. I agree. Uh, I think that the Cowboys, by virtue of barely winning that Seattle game, escaped criticism that would have occurred had they lost, and they really could have lost that game. And because the Eagles got blown out and were pretty much non-competitive after a couple of early uh, field goal drives, you know, everybody thinks that they suck now, or at least that they've, you know, fallen off a cliff. So I'm with you. Uh, I think that this is an opportunity for the Eagles to uh, prove to people yet again that they're the better team, that they own this rivalry. It's a gigantic game for Dak because right now he's going better than Hurts is. He looks like the superior quarterback in this game. But I know who I'll bet on in a spot like this. It'll be Hurts. And I know which coach I trust more, and that's Sirianni. And I just, I've grown accustomed to watching the Eagles win games like this over the last year plus and watch the Cowboys over the last three or four years find a way to lose matchups like this. So I am with can you, Lockstep. Can, can we agree, though, on a big caveat here of Hertz has to play and be rel- as healthy as he has been? There's like a weird Marcus Mariota smoke signal that feels like it might be coming. Well, from David Carr. Yeah. From him. And he blocked me on Twitter. So, Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I don't know why, really. What's your favorite block? Well, I thought it was funny that the Steelers' offensive coordinator got hired, and he immediately blocked me. That's pretty good. <laughs> the main beat writer for the like Chicago. Within an hour, it happened. Like he got the job, and and I guess unless someone else runs his account, literally one of his first moves was to block. <laughs> <him>. <laughs> That's pretty good. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, the main beat writer for the Chicago Tribune for the Bears has me blocked. And is, that, is, uh, that, is his name Widerer? No, he he comes on the show, but okay. it's debatable if he's in, if he enjoys it. He doesn't follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and um, no, that's Brad Biggs. And then uh, Doug Gottlieb has me blocked, which I'm kind of proud of. Yeah, I think I know some of the back and forth there. That yeah, we don't need to that. get in. We don't need to get into all that. Okay, ask no. me the next question, and if you'll allow for me, I might try to take it in a different direction, if that's okay. Sure. Bills and Chiefs, who's it a bigger game for? Well, I think when you sent me this question, my answer might have been different. But I think over the last few hours, and for people that are listening back on the podcast or even uh, on one of our affiliate stations, you know, times are different. So this process gets started Thursday morning, and then we tape right after the game Thursday night. When you sent this Thursday morning, the Sean McDermott story, about comparing their season to 9-11 had not happened yet. That was not not what he said. He said he was looking, he was trying to teach them about teamwork. And he said, you know, you got to like coordinated teamwork like the 9-11 hijackers. Yes. Yeah. Insane. Yes. Right. Yeah. Truly insane. That just, I think, created... Uh, a glimpse for everybody into maybe some of his failures and inabilities as a leader of men. And I've heard for a couple of years from people that, and I think now people are writing this, that he's just a very, very uptight person. And I think I've even said that on this podcast, that I think that there, it, it permeates things. It trickles down to players. I think in this reporting now, like they're talking about how awkward he is as a person I do think that gets on the owner's radar there, the Pagulas. And I would have told you before today that McDermott was safe if they missed the playoffs. I don't think that way anymore. I honestly think the way that this thing blew up on Thursday, I think there's more potential now, if it doesn't turn around for the Bills, that they're going to turn the page and look for a different coach. So I, I'm going to say it's a bigger, I, I it's a bigger game for the Bills now, Danny. That's okay. my way of saying that. Yeah, so I like your angle on that. If you are call, if you are an NFL head coach who speaks after games and on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, and you have to call a Thursday press conference to address your bad 9-11 analogy, you're having a bad week. So it's a disaster of a distraction for a team that is very much on the outside of the AFC playoff picture looking in. And I think it is objectively a bigger game for the Bills because if they have if they want to have any shot at making the playoffs as a wild card, they have to win this game. They need the AFC win. There's a boatload of teams with 6 wins and there's a boatload of teams with 7 wins. Like they're not close to being in the playoffs now. Obviously Pittsburgh's loss uh helps them. But It is a sneaky, huge game for the Chiefs, too, because if they lose, it's very difficult to see a path for them to get the one seed. And we haven't seen them have to play in an AFC championship game on the road. Could they go to Baltimore and win? Of course, obviously. No one would be shocked if Mahomes and Reed went in there. But I think it's going to be really hard to make the argument 
if the Chiefs lose this game at Arrowhead after not backing up their good performance offensively that they had against Vegas in that Green Bay game, I think it's just going to be very hard to make the argument that they are a tier one team. There might not be many teams on tier one, but they will be flawed and looked at appropriately so, just like everyone else in the NFL that isn't the San Francisco 49ers if they lose this game. Yeah. uh, And look at the line on this game. It's only one and a half. Dude, they've got serious offensive problems with a lack of playmakers. It's just, it's, it's just a fact at this point. It's just, it's just, it, it is not something that can consistently be overcome by coach and quarterback. All right, Seattle and San Francisco. Can Brock Purdy be the odds-on MVP favorite Monday morning? He's not the favorite right now. So there's, it's basically three guys at depending on where you're shopping, three, three and a half to one. And it's Dak, Hurts, and Purdy. And conventional wisdom is winner of Sunday Night Football. Monday morning is the MVP. But if Hurts is a little banged up, if Philly's defense actually makes Dak struggle for the first time, like I do think there's a scenario. Seattle plays shootouts, man. And the Niners are rallying around Purdy very publicly. Mm -hmm. Like, Kittle's talking about it and giving him a ton of praise. Uh, Shanahan, obviously. Like, the the guy, like, Purdy is playing the humble role, and all of his teammates are building him up. It wouldn't surprise me at all if this is, like, a, bl- a blowout game and McCaffrey's consecutive touchdown game streak ended, and they're in at the two-yard line, and instead of running in McCaffrey, they play action to just boost his touchdown numbers. Like, I could see a scenario where Sunday night football is a little ugly and this game is a 350-yard, four-touchdown game and Purdy is the favorite just based on he's playing a defense that gives up a ton of points. And I think his team is rallying around building up their quarterback and not making him like he's a product of the system. All good points. I mean... I think that hurts for me, even though the numbers aren't there. If they go to Dallas and win, they'll be back in the driver's seat to get the number one seed. Yep. But if you like Dallas to win the game on Sunday, then I think that I I I think if that happens, Dak becomes the favorite because he has the numbers and then he has the signature win. Um listen, I think that like, to be clear, I think the most likely thing is that conventional wisdom is correct, that but, there's enough points scored right. in Sunday night football that that person, but, whoever wins, is the favorite. But the question is, can it happen? Yeah, because I because I, if I think Purdy has a, yeah, Purdy has a monster game. He went to Philly and won. So I think I think in that way you're on to something. I think that's entirely possible just based on where he is in the odds list right now. Yeah. Um you know, if I had to bet, you know, they're all even, you're saying. If I had to bet one of those three guys, I'd probably bet Dak. Not, And I just said I think Philly's going to win the game. But if I had to bet one of those three, I would bet him. Uh, just because I, I am concerned about the Hurts injury. And with Purdy, you know, I think the McCaffrey thing and the questions about is he really the catalyst for what they do will hurt him. 
Overall, though, if I had to bet somebody for MVP, and I know we've already made several MVP bets on the show, and yeah. they were great odds, but they're probably not going to win with Stroud. Yeah, good value I, losers. I think special. two. I, I think two at plus nine fifty is a very good bet. I don't agree, dude. If Tyreek Hill has two thousand yards, yeah, that's two, a good point. That's a good point. How you're is already, you're already trying to talk me out of it. I mean, that's that's it's the same logic that I just used for against Purdy. So that is a good point. Yeah, I just, I just, I think that like it's much more likely that McDaniel has still has a shot at Coach of the Year. To, uh, Tyreek's obviously the favorite for Offensive Player of the Year. But, I mean, I, I think that you can – if you want to make an argument, you should make the Tyreek for MVP argument. Yeah. And just hope that the top quarterbacks all, you know, are mediocre down the stretch or at least inconsistent. And if Tyreek shatters Calvin Johnson's record, you know, maybe that's a scenario where he gets it, even though I doubt it. Um, Jags and Browns is the next game. Trevor Lawrence has a – Potentially bad ankle sprain. Do you still consider the Jags a contender in the AFC? So when you say contender, you mean to win the whole thing? To win the, let's say to win the AFC. Can they represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? I, I don't, I would not know. I would not say that. Um, you know, I think the, by the, record. Then the list of teams is small. Oh, I agree. Um, you know, by record, I think they are. Uh, you know, they, they, it, it, the high ankle sprain situation, he's already back and doing some stuff at practice. So it doesn't look like it's going to be a long-term injury for him, but more than anything else, the way that that defense just got exposed by Cincinnati with Browning is the thing that's, that's, that's equally troublesome or clo- not as bad as your quarterback having almost a debilitating, potentially season altering injury, but it's not that far off from that, Danny. You know, you don't have to have a great defense to win a Super Bowl. We saw Kansas City do it last year with a middle-of-the-pack defense that just, you know, made critical plays in the playoffs, but overall was not a dominant unit. Chris Jones came alive, all those things. Their secondary matured and grew up and all that stuff. But uh, I don't – I look at Jacksonville a lot like I look at Detroit in the NFC now. I think they're a very good bet to make the playoffs and win their division – but I've got questions about them as a legitimate contender because I just don't think their defense has what it takes to win consecutive games in January. They're probably safe to win the division still, but Indy is right back to where we bet them. They're basically plus 450. And So what happened with that? You've cashed out that bet with Nick? Yeah, I'm out. out. How much money did you get back for that bet? I it was a I was a coward. I took ninety two. I lost ninety two cents on the dollar. <laughs> I saved eight bucks and went to Chipotle. Uh, and now Gardner Minshew's on a winning streak. So but is that bet still alive for me? I thought I think you rolled it over into Chiefs v the field for two hundred in the AFC. We'd have to check the texts with Nick Wright, but um, this Jaguars Browns game is going to be straight up unwatchable by the way. Well, it's got another low total like the Steelers and Patriots had. I think it's at 30 and a half. Yeah. And then Jags schedule the rest of the way after at Cleveland is Baltimore, then at Tampa. So easily could be a four-game losing streak for Jacksonville. Yep. Then it's Carolina and Tennessee. So it ends soft as Lawrence should be healthy. But this has a chance to be way closer than Jaguars fans want it to be way less comfortable 
uh, if they lose this game in Cleveland. Win the game in Cleveland, you're probably fine. Lose the game in Cleveland, I think it's going to be very uncomfortable for Jaguars fans week 17 and 18. I don't think they will. Um, Bengals and Colts, is the success of Gardner Minshew and Jake Browning inspiring or infuriating, you asked? Okay, did you skip Rams? Oh, I did. My bad. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah, I just don't know how it works for Spencer with the graphics if he needs us to go in order. Go ahead. Okay, no, he, he did Colts and Bengals. Okay, what do I mean by this? Some of us live in a world where we watch NFL teams and what Jake Browning did last week would be the best individual game quarterbacked by a member of our team in like two decades. And then for a quarterback to have a four-game winning streak... It's been five years, okay? So it is infuriating that Jake Browning can throw for 350 and a few touchdowns in his first ever game. And Gardner Minshew can execute multi-game winning streaks and bring his team back from the dead. Like, I know that people pay to see the money quarterbacks and the rules have been created to keep the big guys healthy, but why can my team – I could be like, oh, Tyson Bajan. Tyson Bajan was a act. It was about his dad and where he went to college. There was nothing sustainable there. And I don't know if Jake Browning's sustainable. But at least it's exciting and he was throwing the ball down the field. And Minshew is winning games, plural. So I don't know how all these other teams find glimmers of hope at QB, even if it's not long-term hope. I have never experienced anything like this. So I am jealous, frankly. It's uh, a nod to teams that have offensive head coaches and what that can do uh, for your team's quarterback depth and what guys who aren't starters are capable of when called upon or thrust into duty for sure. I mean, the Colts thing with Minshew, we've been on this all year. He was was the best backup in the NFL going into the season. I thought there was an argument for him to be their starter day one because of how raw Anthony Richardson was. And plus he had played in Steichen's system in Philadelphia. And you see that he's got a lot of the qualities that made him a fun player in Jacksonville when he was a rookie, but he's just getting better coaching now. And so that part of it doesn't surprise me. The Colts' success this year, not a lot of people know this, but they're a top 10 scoring offense. And they've done it without Jonathan Taylor there for most of the year. That's just an awesome job by their head coach, who I've said on the last, the last podcast last Thursday should be among the coach of the year nominees. And then the same thing for Cincinnati. You know, I think Zach Taylor, his problem was he had an awful record before Jake, uh, before Joe Burrow showed up. Yeah. But for one year. Yeah. And it was with Ryan Finley and the end of Andy Dalton. And so that made him kind of look bad, but that was, That was really, that was crazy good. I mean, Browning looked, if you didn't know better, you you would have thought that Burrow was their quarterback in that game. Uh, And and he's going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to make time and take uh, note of what happens in this. This this turned into, I think, a nothing burger game. And in one week is now one of the five or six best games on the slate on Sunday because, now Cincinnati looks like they've got like not a good shot, but they at least kept themselves alive. And if Indy wins with the Steelers loss, they're going to be in the driver's seat to make the playoffs. 
Yeah, it's a it's a sneaky watchable game. Um, all right, Rams and Ravens. Do you consider the Rams, who have been playing much better, especially offensively, are they a live underdog in Baltimore as a seven and a half point underdog? I, I don't think so. Um, I've just seen all these NFC teams go to Baltimore and die. And they it, it hasn't even been competitive. It's just been uh, public executions where the where they were just dispatched of so quickly. Talking about Seattle and Detroit, uh, you know, I love what the Rams have done the last two weeks. They've scored they've scored thirty five, average thirty five the last two games. Uh, Williams coming back off his injury has been huge for them. So I, I'm still an admirer and have liked the Rams really all year, uh, and I think that they can still make the playoffs and probably will. But in this game, no, I don't have a lot of hope for them against Baltimore coming off a bye. That's maybe there's the thing. a maybe there's a little bit of rust there, Danny. But in the end, the Ravens are going to find a way to win. They've got too much to play. I mean, this is this is put on a silver platter for them to win the AFC and get to Lamar Jackson's first Super Bowl. I I, I honestly believe if if it doesn't happen this year, when when they look back on Jackson's. Uh, career I think they might circle this season more than even his MVP year based on what else has happened in the AFC this year with injuries to quarterbacks yeah so I I knew you had been so high on the Rams that I was curious how you were going to take the question you and I end up having a decent amount of overlap here in our thoughts if the Ravens weren't coming off a bye I think that the the Rams are much more live because the next two for Baltimore are at Jacksonville and at San Francisco so obviously bigger games, more threatening opponents, J- Jaguars, AFC tiebreakers, still technically in contention for a first round buy, all of that stuff. So in theory, it could be a little bit of a trap spot for them, but not coming off of a buy at home. So I do, I do think that like Ravens teasers are probably good uh, in that spot. I think if you teased like Baltimore down to minus one. And if you wanted to do a same game teaser, which I don't normally tease totals, but tease that total down to like 34. I think the over on that, like the Baltimore to win in this game to go over 34 points, I think it's probably a winning wager for you. On I'll ask you about the bears here in this next one. Yeah. Lions and bears. Would this be a signature win for Matt Eberflus? It's so pathetic, man. But the answer is Yes. He got his first ever division win last week, and it was against the Vikings, and his offense didn't score a touchdown, and his quarterback fumbled twice in the fourth quarter. But they happened to win, but his defense has been great, and that's his calling card. And there's been like a little bit of seeming like he's been maybe willing to separate himself from Luke Getzey a little bit. Like, we're playing better. We got to figure out a way to play complementary football but we're playing better. We're eight and eight, or we're four and four in our last eight. He is using momentum. He's sounding much more confident uh, in front of the microphone. Like all of a sudden, I think that since he's gotten Montez Sweat and since his defense has played better, and they're remarkably healthy for a team this far into the season, uh, they couldn't win in Detroit when they turned Jared Goff over three times. So I don't think they're going to win. But Jared Goff in a not great weather situation, outdoors, on the road, Lions defense has been given up a lot. Bears are only a three-point dog in this game. Like The majority of Chicago actually expects the Bears to win this game. 
So that's when I normally go the other way. And the Lions are a clear favorite, obviously, in, in the division and a cut above. But they really did give the Lions a ton of trouble in their building, except for the two-minute offense at the end of the first half and then the last four minutes of the game. Now, I know those are two big caveats there, other than that Mrs. Lincoln Howe is the play. But for 53 and a half minutes of that game, they made Jared Goff's life completely miserable. So I, I do think this is a sneaky, compelling game. And if the Bears win it, Matt Eberflus is going to be crowing. And a lot of people around here are going to say that he is going to come back as their head coach next year, which I think is insane. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you draft Caleb Williams and give him Matt Eberflus, you're just, it's history repeating itself. But his, he has more job security than I think people are giving him credit for nationally. Uh, I'll take the Detroit side of this for a second. Uh, I think if they lose this game, there's a chance that the inverse of last season happens where there's a late season collapse that's brewing uh, because I think at that point, they're going to be fighting their franchise's history. And I think it's going to be palpable uh, in that city that here we go again with the Lions. We got hooked on this team. We believed in this team. And look at what they've done. Look at what they're doing. What's happening. So they better win. I think last week they were lucky to win, honestly. Uh, They got out to that huge lead against New Orleans and the Saints uh, almost came back and beat them. And if they had, then, you know, I think that that, I think the way that the Lions played in a win ultimately determined why this line is so small. Because they, to me, again, did not really pass my eye test when the game was over. Uh, I th- I think that they are doing a little bit of smoke and mirrors now. I'll say I'll repeat what I said about Jacksonville. I think this Lions defense uh, is a big problem. They don't pressure the quarterback enough, man. Other than even Hutchinson, they just do not get pressure at all. And it's, al- it's I- almost like they should have drafted Jalen Carter. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, instead of another running back, it was such an it was such an obvious move. So obvious. I, I I know he ended in a good spot for him. They were going for culture there, Danny. They were going with their the culture had already been established. Yeah. I'm like he was already established. Uh Houston and the Jets. What do you make of the latest Jets quarterback soap opera drama? Well, I actually think in this way, I'm gonna defend Aaron Rodgers on something. I think. I think some of the criticism that came of what he said on McAfee show about the Zach Wilson thing, I think people either misinterpreted or misrepresented what he said, and and probably both. I don't think he was going after Diana Russini and reporters. I think he was going after the fact that the Jets have people inside their organization who anonymous, anonymously talk crap on their players and demean and disparage guys uh, in that big media market. And he said at some point, we need to have a conversation about the fact that we have these loose lip situations within the team where this kind of stuff is happening. We need to put an end to that. I don't think like, I think because Rogers has railed against uh, media coverage and uh, things like that for the last few years, really ever since uh, you know we found out that he didn't get vaccinated, and he's been on such a crusade against uh, the way that sports are covered and really 
uh, current events are covered ever since. I, I think in this case, he didn't get the benefit of the doubt from people. Um, I, 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 I actually agreed with what he said about this situation. Didn't he, didn't he say both though? Didn't, didn't he, didn't he say like that they pay too much attention to the noise, but that it was chicken bleep reporting. That was my interpretation of it. But I'm also talking about just the idea that Zach Wilson doesn't want to play because of fear of injury and that Tim Boyle is going to start and Rodgers is out there as like the main spokesperson for it. It's just, I know that it's a big time media market and he's a celebrity and he makes seven figures to go on McAfee, but it hasn't helped the appearance of stability for the Jets. Like if he's like, man, we care too much about the media and what they're saying about us. And we talk to the media too much and there's too much of uh, reporting in the locker room. And then you just sit there and wax poetic and talk conspiracy theories and rail against everybody on the biggest talk show in the world once a week when you're not playing. Buddy, do you have any mirrors in your house? <laughs> you know, like it's it's not like he's helping out Zach Wilson by talking to Pat McAfee for 30 minutes a week. No, I mean, it, it's, it's very reminiscent of what I experienced with Roethlisberger. And Ben would say things on his radio show with me that would create uh, controversy within the Steelers organization. And it got to a point where with his last contract, they made sure that he didn't do the show anymore. Uh, they didn't want that to go on. So because they felt like there was discord that came out of it. And I don't even think it was, I don't even think it was done maliciously or oftentimes intentionally by Ben. He was just, someone that spoke unfiltered and didn't care. And I think Rogers is the same way in that he does love attention. There's no yeah. way around that. Um, and he, I think he likes to be provocative. I think he likes to, I, I, I think he, he's I think he's got a, sir. he's a, he, he likes to poke. He likes to troll. He likes to get a reaction. Like but just, and, and, and in that way, like, I don't really, it would be wrong of me to be hypercritical of him for that. Because you see a lot of yourself in him? Well, yeah, but then again, that's, his job is to throw touchdown passes. It's not to do that. Correct. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously the clear distinction between what we're paid to do and what he does. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, it will be interesting what happens with him once the season ends and we get into the off season, because I do think he has used up a lot of his goodwill with Jets fans and they're going to obviously root for him and want him to play next year after living through this abysmal season with bad quarterback play. But because his return next year means they're going to have to keep Nathaniel Hackett and many of the friends of Rogers club. If it doesn't start well, I think it has a chance to really blow up there in spectacular fashion, which I know is what, well, is that what you're rooting for? You don't really care now that he's, now that he's gone from the Packers. Dude, you I want to watch him play football. Yeah. I want to watch him play football. It, the, the Jordan love thing is what makes me sick. Um, All right. We're going to combine some games here. Let's keep it moving. Thank you for listening to First and Pod. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Carolina, New Orleans, Tampa, Atlanta. 
The NFC South is playing each other. We've talked about this division winner a hundred times this year. <laughs> Last chance. This yeah. is our locked-in prediction. Let's get our NFC South winner on the record. Who you got? I think all three teams finish seven and ten, and Tampa Bay makes the playoffs with the tiebreaker. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I. That's I think the Bucks go to Atlanta and win this week. Well, that's the only way that happens, right? Because Atlanta is home against Tampa, then in Carolina, then home against Indy, then in Chicago, and then ending on the road in New Orleans. I, Atlanta's got the cleanest path. And I think Carolina's going to beat New Orleans this week, too. Okay, well, then New Orleans is out if that happens. And that's why I'm going with Tampa as a dark horse here. Okay. To keep their streak of making the playoffs going out of that very, 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 very bad division. Okay. I, I I I have Atlanta, but that is that is a so we we've got a little bit of stake in the game there in uh, in Bucks Falcons make that game watchable. All right, next one we're going to combine. Sorry to Vikings fans, but we're combining the other three AFC West teams here: uh, Broncos at Chargers, Vikings at Raiders. If you had to buy stock oh. in, in a non-Kansas City AFC West team, who are you buying stock in? I hate this question because it forces me to do what I always get pissed off about, and that's buy back in on the Chargers at this point. Right? I mean, the the, the Broncos are hot, though, man. Well, not anymore. They just lost to Houston last week. Okay, but, I mean, they are trending in the right direction at coach and quarterback and defense and so that what they won five of six I understand that Houston loss is not a bad loss like I, I don't I don't think Denver is a ridiculous answer uh to, to I don't know I've got these I've got these DVOA people telling me that they think the Chargers are going to win out and I see I, that you know like I, I see those Char- I, I still think the Chargers their best is clearly the best of these three teams we just never see it with any degree of consistency and they're talking about Austin Eckler not even being their main running back. I, I haven't watched every snap of every game. Austin Eckler's the problem with the Chargers now. That seems a little surprising. Well, he did nothing on the ground against the Patriots last week, but I mean, oh, he's been take bad the grain of salt. I mean, New England's defense against the run is actually probably the best in the entire NFL. And it's not like the Chargers schedule is easy. They still got to play Denver twice. They go to the Raiders, they host Kansas City, they host the Bills. I mean, there's not an easy game in there. It's division games and it's good teams. But yeah, I guess I'd I'd be I'm forced to pick them. But I right. I because I, I, I can't say the Raiders and I don't want to say Denver right now. Okay, I thought you were going to say Denver. So we have uh, we have we had disagreement on the NFC South and agreement on the AFC West. We will wrap. What do you make of the double feature, the random Week 14 Monday Night Football? Double feature, games happening at the exact same time, one on ESPN, one on ABC, Titans at Dolphins, Packers at Giants. I don't get it. I don't understand why they have the two games at the same time when they could easily do an East Coast game and a West Coast game like they did as a standard uh introduction to the NFL season when that's how they would begin the Monday night football package uh, in week one. They probably did that for a half decade. 
when they would I have went back and I went back and read an article about it. Like it's there's not a great explanation other than they're like, we wanted to try to recreate, you know, the Sunday 1 p.m. feeling in primetime. But it's two games. Yeah, there's not enough. That that's that's recreating like it's not even recreating the four o'clock Eastern time window because there's at least three games that go on well, at that right. time. And, so they're not recreating anything. And most diehard NFL fans in the one o'clock Eastern window are either watching red zone or multiple screens. If you're really like a diehard NFL fan, I guess you could do that for two standalone games, but not, but not red zone. You'd have to double screen it. They're not going to do picture in picture. I know they'll be updating it on the, on the other channels, right? Like Buck will be promoting what's going on in the other game and vice versa. So they'll be driving audience to the better game. And I know they're pumped about ABC getting them in the Super Bowl rotation. But yeah, it's it's weird and random and confusing. And at the very least, they should stagger the starts. What if both games are awesome? Yep. Like the, it, one should at least start 30 minutes after the other. Uh, so if you want to watch the the finish of both games, you can do that. So I'm I'm confused. It feels um, exper- experimental, and I don't love the experiment. All right, buddy. Danny, Sorry. thanks for letting me vent about the Steelers at the beginning of the podcast. I mean, yeah, man. This is why people tune in. They tune in to hear you vent about the Steelers. So it's a... It was a pretty hilarious loss if you had no skin in the game, I got to say. Thank you for reminding me. A lot of flashbacks to Mitch Trubisky nearly throwing interceptions on screen passes while he's jumping and fading away. (laughs) A lot of PTSD for your boy. Uh, Thank you to Spencer Ray, our producer. Subscribe, rate, review. Do us a favor this holiday season. Tonight's the first night of Hanukkah. Text the link to First and Pod to one friend of yours who likes the NFL. It would mean a lot to us. First and Pod. Peace.